0: This is Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master, creating products customers love. Get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad. Hello, Product Masters. Once again, today we are talking about markets, what a market is, and customer insights. And hopefully we all know this by now, great product managers. We really understand the customer, right? Um, and their unmet needs so we can create more value for them. So helping us with this discussion to explore these ideas about customer insights is Darshan Mehta. He is our guest to help us with this because he has a great deal of experience. He's the founder of iResearch.com, an insights platform to quickly and affordably extract insights from consumers worldwide. And also he has an app called Connect Quick, and that app is for instant connections and engaging uh, interactions and hopefully leading to some insights. We'll hear more about that. In addition, he has taught at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden, and as well as some other universities. If you want to Detailed notes about anything we discuss, we go out of our way to write those for you. We also put together a one-page action guide for you, so you can take action right now on the key concepts we talk about. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 352. Darshan,
1: thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here, Chad. Really looking forward to talking to you.
0: You know, someone that can help us with customer insights. I am always up for that discussion. <laughs> so th- this will be good. Before we get into that, we often talk about customer insights in the context of a market. You know, maybe a market segment, this group of customers we're going after. And, and I always find the the just the concept of a market when we start talking about markets. You know, a group of us trying to describe this a little bit sterile, a little bit hard for it to be to get my hands actually around because it doesn't really convey a, a connection with customers. Markets just don't seem very human to me, frankly. How do you think about markets? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I know know what you're saying. And I think uh, companies really need to think about this probably goes back to, in the past, a lot of innovation was more product focused, right? How can we innovate the product and not think as much about the, the consumer or the experience they're having? And so interestingly enough, the term probably uh, the opposite of that is market focus. I know we're talking about the term market, but I think if you really think about it now, and especially post-COVID, people, are, I don't think, buying products anymore. They're buying experiences. And, you know, because there's so many products in different categories that are competitors that people are really looking for experiences. So I think you're right. And I think whatever you can do to humanize your product, and also I think the, the focus of your innovation should actually incorporate the humanizing of it as well is going to benefit you greatly. I mean, for example, you know, let's say you start off with a razor with one blade, and the innovation is two blades or three blades, and ultimately you get to five blades, and it's like, you know, is that really the ultimate in innovation, right? But along the way, what happened as those blades became increased in numbers, the product cost went up, and so to buy that product, you're basically behind a cabinet locked. And it wasn't simple and easy, and it took away from the experience, but that also then created an opportunity for the buying experience. So a startup comes around and competes with a multinational corporation around the world and basically makes tremendous inroads by focusing on the experience of buying razor blades right yeah make that simple so the innovation wasn't just the product it was actually the human experience of, of purchasing and that made a big difference and you know they made a big dent in that market as a result of it yeah absolutely
0: uh, i was always a little bit skeptical actually of, of more blades being better maybe some people <laughs> swear by them i figure i can cut myself with two what what damage can i do with five right so um, it's clearly not meeting one of my unmet needs there so <laughs> Okay, so this notion of markets, right, a collection of customers that have some similar characteristics. I tend to think about that as a similar problem, something they're trying to accomplish, their perspective on value, and to get there, we need these insights. So we we always talk about let's get some insights about our customers so we can go to the next stage with our product, right, in the right way to add value for them, or we can create a new product, right, that explores another problem or an aspect of a problem we haven't explored yet. Before I, I want to talk about where we get these insights, but let 's describe what insights are. How do you think about insights?
1: I'm so glad you asked me because I think there's a lot of confusion and misuse of the word insights." Often, the place we go to is insights or facts or observations, and they 're not just that. They're actually a combination of multiple things. For example, we're all part of society, and we, whether we like it or not, we are subject to trends and movements in society in terms of societal uh, trends, technological trends. So it's really the combination of all of that that comes together, and that's an insight. Let me give you an example of, I think, who, are, who I would say do excellent job at insights. And uh, you might be surprised to hear this, but I think they're comedians, right? Hmm. These are comedians that you actually listen to, and you say, that is so true and so funny. So they've actually taken something, an observation, right? But they've combined it with other elements of human nature, maybe other trends, and they've tapped into that and presented it in a way that makes you have that aha moment. You say, aha, that is so funny, that's so true. And that is an insight, right? So it's not just an observation or a fact. It's the combination of many things. But a big part of that is also emotional, right? Because we're we're complex creatures. Humans are not uh, simple creatures. We're complex and a lot of... What we decide in things are based on emotions. So there's that element of emotion that's also involved with an insight. It's really what's, what's driving something. What, what's behind the triggers or the motivations behind something? And that's where you get insights. And I think they're all around us. And one of the best ways to tap into them is really having conversations.
0: Okay, so we'll talk more about that conversation in just a moment. I love that you brought up comedians, because I also view, you know anyone that enjoys a good comedian, we have we do enjoy those aha moments together, right? Oh, like, that's so right. obvious, and I haven't thought about it that way, and it makes us laugh or um, makes us go, huh, all right. But the other interesting thing about comedians is they are so good at applying the lean startup experimentation process, right? Because comedians, <laughs> yep. just like the rest of us, We might think we have an insight, but we don't know if it's going to land with our audience for comedians or not. And they test all the time, right? They're testing material all the time. And I hear these interviews with comedians where, you know, big name comedians where they're going to the little local place with 75 people in the room and testing out material and refining that until they do the really big show because then they know they have something. And I think Absolutely. we need to do the same thing as product people. That's like, we think there's something going on over here, but until we actually get that validated by customers where they go, Oh, aha, that, that does solve my problem, right? That, that does bring me value. Right. So I, I love that picture. Thank you so much for introducing that comedian analogy.
1: Well, actually you made me think of this now. I think I want to extend it a little bit further. and think uh, you're right about comedians and it's not just the insight. That's it's the funny part, right? It's mm-hmm. the combination of the insight with an example and timing that truly make it come alive and help reach their objective. So it's not just a great insight alone. It's actually understanding human nature. And also more than anything, they want to be able to communicate in a way to their audience that the audience has overlapping experience. And that's when that aha moment becomes even more uh, resonating and real. And it makes you tap into your subconscious and say, you know, I never thought of that, but it's so true and it happens all the time.
0: Yep, some things are universal, and that just kind of amplifies. Okay, well, let's get into actually getting these customer insights. You, you talked, to, you just mentioned customer conversations, I think, conversations with customers. Tell, tell us ways to get customer insights.
1: So there's many ways you can have conversations with customers. Some of the traditional ways are just one-on-one interviews, just talk to people. Right. Other ways or surveys. But that's not as really a conversation, more so quantifying a certain things you might suspect or, or think. Not, another way is, is through our platform, iResearch, where you can actually do conversations on scale, remotely, anytime, anywhere with anyone. <clears throat> but the key is having these conversations to tap into these insights. And they're all around us. I'll give you an example. We did uh, a, a focus group for a clothing uh, retailer uh, in the local Washington, D.C. area. Huh. and basically it was a simple uh, insight that changed the store's trajectory completely. And that insight was when talking to customers, a lot of them were women shoppers for children's clothing, and they would drop off their kids in the morning and go to a bagel shop nearby around 9 in the morning, but this store didn't open till 10. So between, and they were done by 9, let's say 9, nine fifteen, And so they didn't really want to wait around 45 minutes for the store to open, cause then, and then to get busy and wouldn't go to the store. They said, if they just opened like 9.30... I would definitely go well that was just a simple insight that uh, came from a conversation and the retailer ended up opening up nine thirty within a week they more than paid for the research they'd done and it really boosted sales tremendously
0: yep Those little things to pay attention to. Yeah. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about my first experience really to help me get into my product management career. And I had been responding to developing lots of prototypes for customers, but this was one where I I was immersed with customers for a week. And I've talked about this a few times where people listen a lot. But so for a whole week, I kind of saw what they did and I recognized their main problems was just simplifying what they needed to accomplish. And there were other companies that were competing to provide a solution for them. But my takeaway was we got to make this easy for them to set up and solve and and get through the value they needed. Absolutely. And we ended up winning the work and doing the product because of that. The, The approach was just different. And the value to them was, yeah, they had to accomplish what their task was all about. But simplifying that for them was the big win.
1: Well, if you think about it, I mean, most successful companies are usually doing one of three things, if not all three. And that's either they're saving you time, money, or making it easier, right? And I would argue if you could do any one of those, your chances of being successful are pretty good. But right. if you could actually achieve all three, plus plus uh, a plus one I call, I think your chance of being successful are tremendous. So yeah. if you just do three, save time, money, and make it easy, I think you give yourself a 3x chance of being successful. But the plus one is actually the emotional connection. If you yeah. can evoke an emotion, now that 3x could become 6 12x. I don't know, right? It depends on the emotion you evoke. And if you can do all four of those things, I think your chance of being successful increased exponentially.
0: Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm, I'm glad you brought the emotional aspect back in here. You know, when we look at value to the customer, if we, as you said, save them time, you know, save them money, make things easier for them that's usually all very good. If we can also do that in a way where, where the customer feels better about themselves, they, they feel special in some sense, maybe they feel part of an exclusive club, like when the iPhone came out. And you know, if you could, got the iPhone, you felt somehow different and special, right? <laughs> Products that make that emotional connection with their community are really powerful. And that's why you end up with people standing in line for, you know, a day before a, the new product is, is available, just to get their hand in that emotion. If we can tap into that, that's a Key thing, and you started in the beginning talking about that. You think, you know, people are less about buying products these days and more about buying an experience. Yes, and in that context, I think that's where an emotional element can be brought in is in the experience.
1: Yeah, I think if you see a lot of uh, companies nowadays are are thinking about the total experience from, you know, the time you actually get the package to opening it, uh, the design, the packaging, and everything you know, that evokes a certain emotion It makes you feel like, wow, I really made a really cool decision here because it's a cool right. product and, you know, it makes me just feel good. And, you know, I like the design of it and I, and I think it's going to, you know, uh, make me feel good using it. And I can see others appreciating that I have a cool product. Yep. Right. Those are all intangibles that are emotional things that make a big difference in your satisfaction and acceptance and, and, and you know, of the brand and the product. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. We're both old enough to remember when you would go to the software store, physical software store, and buy a box of software (laughs) full full of media, right? CDs, or even before CDs, maybe. And the Windows, the Microsoft Windows box, always, the box itself was full of text all over the box, right? It was just, it was a, basically a book put onto a box. And... You know, sure, it told you all kinds of information about the product inside, but it was really busy. And then, to contrast this, we had Apple making their box, which was clean and simple and delightful. And it was just different, right? It's like, oh, all that information is gone, but this just feels kind of better. And I remember when when I got my first iPad, uh, not iPad, iPod, even long before that, and opening, it came in the mail And when I opened the box, it was very much like getting a Christmas present. The way the box was wrapped, the way the box opened, it felt special in that moment, not just like, oh, here's the thing I bought. And that might be a little thing we think about as product managers and and for organizations building physical products. We might have packaging experts, but it's significant as part of the experience.
1: Absolutely. And that's where if you can make a, a human connection on an emotional level. It's going to go a long way, and especially nowadays, right? Because now when people have those emotions, they actually share it immediately on social media. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. So you not only, not only get a reaction, now you actually get people promoting it because they just feel like amazing when they actually bought or interacted with your product. So now you're getting a, a, you know, a, a further enhanced benefit of it as well.
0: Yep. Maybe this is why unboxing videos on YouTube are so, uh, so popular for new products. <laughs> Don't oh, know.
1: Okay, yeah. so
0: we've talked through customers a little bit, right? What markets are customers, getting customer insights, what an insight is, ways to get insights. You teed this up very much in terms of talking with customers when it comes to getting insights. Are there other ways, too, that you have explored or you've seen used for getting insights?
1: Sure. I mean, nowadays with social media, here's the, the good and the bad news, right? And that is one way or another, you're going to get feedback from your customers. Even if you're not seeking it or wanting it, they're going to post reviews. They're going to post comments about your product and service. So you're going to get feedback no matter what. So your choice now is do you want to get that feedback sooner or later? And uh, I would argue that you're better off getting it sooner. You can control it. And the good news is there's so many ways to get feedback and input for your product and service now. But the key is, you know. Keep doing it and and be prepared. You know, not all of it's going to be good news, right? Some people are going to truly tell you, I really don't like this or even stronger terms, you know, I hate it. But those are the ones you have to listen to because they often give you the opportunities to that's where the innovation or another insight is to maybe really improve your product or service. And I think one of the things uh, one needs to think about innovation is not just innovating your product. But also think about innovating ways to make your existing product obsolete. Hmm. And what I mean by that, you, al- you almost have to become your biggest and worst competitor. Because if you think about it, that's the only thing you control. You don't control what your competitors do or don't do. And trying to chase them or worry about them is really kind of a uh, wasted exercise. Because you have no control over it. But you do control what you do and innovate and what kind of products you may come out with. And, you know, you're better off being your own competitor because you control it, right? Right. You can control the obsolescence of existing product and transition over to a new product. And customers don't mind that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they want to evolve with you and your product as well. And so so in terms of innovation, don't innovate just to have iterations of your product, but also think about innovating. So how can we actually make ourselves obsolete, become our worst and biggest competitor so that we can have a sustained future moving forward. Yeah,
0: it, it creates tension, right? You're, you're always trying to make something better in the process, kind of cannibalize what you've done already. Toyota builds into their culture this aspect because they'll let other automotive companies come in and benchmark their best practices, yeah. which is almost unheard of. I mean, Maybe there's a few other industries that do this, but to let your competitors come in and learn from you what you're doing the best at. And apparently they do that to to force themselves You know, now our competitors know what we're really good at. Now we have to get even better at the next thing. Right? It's an interesting kind of culture aspect. The other thing I want to comment on was, you know, when you talk about social media and the feedback, as product managers and just in general, some of us don't like getting feedback. Right. Sure. (laughs) I personally view feedback as this precious gift because it's very rare in life that someone will stop and actually tell you something. And it's up to you to figure out what to do with that, right? You get to filter it and see is it authentic? Is there truth there? Is it something to ignore uh, completely? And as product managers, those that really love the customer problem, and not our solution that we're creating, I think are the ones that are doing the better job, frankly, right? And they can take the feedback and go, oh, there's something valuable in here for me to understand the customer problem better and aspects to work on. On the other side, and you know, I'm wired as an engineer, that's my background. If we're focused on the solution and this thing I created that I love so much, which I've been in those shoes many times, it's like I've worked so hard on this thing, this is my baby. If we fall in love with our solution, it's easier for us, I think, to kind of ignore that feedback that we need.
1: Well, thats I think this is kind of interesting. Based on our discussion, we're talking about putting in emotion into a product, but this is the area where you need to take the emotion out, right? As, right. as you're getting feedback, I mean, sure, it's your baby, right? I mean, you've, 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 you gave birth to this idea, this product. It's your baby. You're in love with it. And you want to see it do well. But part of seeing it do well is being called tough love, right? And and you should be open to some of the criticisms and things. But again, take the emotion out of it in terms of listening to the feedback, because there are some real kernels of insights in those people that are critical. And they actually have the potential to become your super raving fans, to be honest with you. Right. 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 If you can actually listen to what they're saying, because they actually are very interested in the product, if you actually think about it, enough to the point they actually want to complain about it. So in a way, they may not be articulating, but they're actually saying, you're almost there, but I just need it better. You know, I mean, they didn't say it that way. They might just say, this sucks. I don't like it. I don't want anything to do with it. But go beyond that. Listen to actually what they're saying, and you might actually find that that is an area where you know, they are giving an, an entry to a great innovation for you to tap into. Because yeah, ultimately, you're the expert in your industry, technological trends, what are happening. So let's go back to the iPod, for example, you brought up earlier. Right, mm-hmm. I think Steve Jobs was in the position where he could see hard drives coming down, the cost of tra- everything coming down so it could make it smaller. They were not the first MP3 player, right?
0: I not mean, there were plenty shot. of
1: MP3 players out there, but he also saw a need in the marketplace. When you travel, you had to take your entire CD collection with you, right, and swap it out or all this stuff. But now the, the storage space and the cost was coming down that you could actually put it into a small device, right? And if you remember his presentation, he pulled out his pocket and said, Now you can take a thousand songs in your pocket, right? I mean, that was amazing, right? I could take my entire CD collection and more in my pocket. But then the emotion was throwing in that flywheel, right? That f- thing that just, you just said, Oh my God, that's really cool. So it's not just a thousand songs, but how you can get through it very quickly and through this cool little thing. Yeah, new user interface. Right.
0: Yeah. And for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about because you stream all your, your audio, uh, <laughs> it's just an example of how there are these big step changes in innovation and in industries as well. So, But that that was an amazing accomplishment. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about customer insights, maybe with an example. Let me first call out how this podcast is made possible. This is sponsored by the RPM experience, the rapid product master experience. That is a service that uh, we offer here at product mastery now. And I have been involved with for about 10 years. I think we uh, first created that 10 years ago. There's a brand new version that has come out this year. This is how teams of product managers of product teams, sometimes even uh, directors and executives learn the, the fundamentals of what goes into creating products that customers love. It's a very holistic perspective that takes us all the way from those initial insights through strategy, through process, through team organization, and it covers the very broad holistic view of what product management is about and creating products that customers love. It gets everyone on the same page working together. And a key feedback from many customers, Motorola uh, has told us this, you'll see this on the website when you go check this out, that it changed their conversation as people that are also like me, wired as engineers to being so focused on the customer. They changed their language from starting conversations with engineering specs to what what do we know about the customer? What do we need to know? What does the customer want here? So it changes perspectives as we go through this. And we find people interacting in different ways, too, building trust and building collaboration. It is a nine-week experience. We meet for 75 minutes once a week. And so we go through nine uh, topics with each other. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's working at a higher level afterwards. We've seen really big changes in teams and uh, product managers that do this. If you want to find out more about that, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. So, Darshan, customer insights. Now you have these platforms for gaining customer insights. I'm hoping you have an example that you can take us through about, you know, maybe what was the problem? What was the need and how the new customer insights were discovered or found?
1: Sure. We actually did. It was interesting. We did a project for the state department and they mm-hmm. were actually looking to hire more minorities into the state department foreign services. And so one of the thoughts was, do we have a focus group in person? And everybody walks in the room and sees each other and says, hey, you know, (laughs) okay, this is going to be about a group of minorities on a topic. But we recommend doing it online. And it actually worked out quite well because what you want to do in a focus group, is have to do an inverted pyramid. In other words, you want to start off broad and get more and more specific. But it's best if people, you know, kind of come into it naturally as opposed to thinking, okay, I know what this is all about, kind of preconditioned. And so doing it online made a big difference, and it took away the visual body and allowed people to really give honest feedback into the ads and the communications that we were seeing. And eventually they knew this was, you know, targeting from minorities into the foreign service program. But it was allowed them to come into it naturally as opposed to knowing it right up front. And that made a big difference. And sometimes, you know, these insights really... What you're doing in these conversations is tapping into what people ultimately think and feel. And in order to do that, it takes a little while to get into the conversation. For example, you've been in an experience where you go to a cocktail party, right? And you might be talking to a group of three or four people, but you get on a topic that you're all very interested in. And before you know it, you're all kind of feeding off each other and just getting deeper and deeper into the topic. And, you know, you're tapping into thoughts and emotions that you never even really thought about until this topic came up. But everyone's feeding off of each other. And that's what you're trying to do is have that kind of conversation where everybody's just doing a deeper dive. And by the end of it, you're saying, that was really cool. I learned a lot. And, you know, I learned a lot about myself and others at the same time.
0: hmm Okay, so I like the analogy there with the dinner uh, or cocktail kind of party, where you find the energy just getting deeper. I'm curious about just some of the more details here with the you know, State Department uh, opportunity. We, we want to investigate how we can go about hiring more minorities. What was set up? How did you find the initial people to even participate in discussions
1: with? So there's many ways you can do that. and Nowadays, it's even easier with social media. Uh, you invite to people to do a, a survey, a screening mm-hmm. survey. So you ask them various questions that are, you know to see if they fit the right demographics. But then also, are they in the market to look for a job? Some things that you may not just get from demographics. And once you screen them, you invite roughly about 15 people to participate in a discussion. Could you have more? Yes. Could you have less? Yes. But the reason I say 15, because that's an ideal number, because with that, you can expect anywhere from 8 to 12 to actually show up, right? And what happens is if you have too many uh, people beyond the fifteen you're not able to get as deep into a topic. So it's kind of a fine balance, right? You want to have the right amount of people, but you want to have it so that you can do a deep dive. And so once we had that, we basically then had the discussion, and we went through a series of ads that we showed them the various ads. And in the ads were images of people and things, and we wanted to see what did that convey to them. You know, is that something that appealed to them, didn't appeal to them? And so they talked about things, you know, that, hey, I can really identify with this person. I can identify with the story they're telling and how it changed their life and uh, career. And others, they say, well, this one doesn't quite cut it. I I can't really. So those are all the things. Now we're tapping into how people think and feel that allow us to really better understand what are their motivators? What are their triggers? And then from there, you can actually do a better survey. So, you know, there's basically two methods you can use in getting insights, qualitative and quantitative. I would recommend doing some qualitative first because then you'll end up with a better survey in terms of questions and answer choices that you can quantify. For example, if you and I were going to do a new product of women's lingerie, right, (laughs) we could come up with all kinds of thoughts and ideas, but... Ultimately, we're going to have a better survey if we actually talk to women first, right? Mm-hmm. Even though it's not something you and I uh, are, are, are consumers of, but if we talk to women first and find out the, the things they think about, you would, and I would end up doing a better survey as a result of that. Yep, absolutely. Because we have better questions and better answer choices. Right, and I understand
0: your customer better. Okay, and for the 15 people you invite for a discussion, in this case, of this example, was this an online, real-time discussion? Was it in a room?
1: Was yes. it asynchronous? How did you do that? It's, on, it's online, and in, uh, in, uh, it's a chat session. And one of the things I found out, I've, I've tried both chat, audio, all these different versions, but there's one, two interesting things about the chat mm-hmm. version that actually works well. One is that when you pose a question to 15 people, everyone can answer without interrupting. Right. Like right now, you and I can't talk at the same time, but if we were chatting, we and the interesting there is people give their initial thoughts, but then they respond to what everybody else is saying. And so at the end of the session, a uh, two-hour session, which goes actually very quickly, and a lot of people don't even want to end the two hours, you end up with such rich information and insights from all in terms of written transcript. It's, it's quite uh, amazing. And the other thing I found interesting is when people have to compose their thoughts into writing, there's just an extra little step of thinking and articulation that happens when they have to put it into writing. And again, we don't uh, uh, require people to have perfect grammar or spelling. As long as we can sure. understand what you're saying, that's okay. But huh? the point is, when they go through that exercise of thinking and articulating their thoughts, it's really interesting. You do tap into more insights and the thought process as a result.
0: Interesting. So the the chat version you found to work actually really well, you know, a text based interaction. It sounds like that's helping to control group things. So you don't have one person dominating, kind of steering the direction of everyone. And you're probably getting in shorter time, much more information, right? Everyone's jumping in and and, and, and sharing. And
1: that's a good takeaway. And if you think about it now, I mean, even in a given day, how much we all interact in chat-based communication, right? Whether it's text, email, or whatever. And even in those communications, you can get people's personalities and emotions, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and sometimes the wrong way too, right? Right. (laughs) There's some miscommunication. But the point is, we're so uh, used to it nowadays. You actually can get a a lot of information that way. That's a good tip.
0: I have not thought about having a focus group. I, I tend not to be a big fan of focus groups because of some of the downsides with the dominating voices and group think and misleading information in the end. And never do a single focus group because they can be misleading. Habits. If you're going to do them, do a minimum of three. But the chat version is an interesting thing for me to think. I personally am a huge fan of the conversations, which you shared before, like we're doing now, right? Maybe a one-on-one on one customer or one-on-two customers, two customers involved in having that discussion. And then another Good tool to get information to explore would be this, you know, doing a text based interactive focus group with a a group of people. Okay. Interesting takeaway there. Appreciate you sharing some more information about that for us. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes here as well. What is your quote for us and what does it mean to you?
1: Today's insights are tomorrow's facts. And it's, um, I really believe, if you think about it, look at the world around you. You know, there are things we just take for life right, as given, right, that that exists. But at one point, you know, something was developed by someone not that much brighter or more intelligent or more experienced than you and I, let's say, you know, that just thought about it, say, hey, this is a way to solve a problem. And next thing you know, it becomes a fact. So, you know, I think the real key to being successful in business is differentiating. And one of the ways to differentiate is innovation. And so how do you get to those innovations? And those innovations, I think one of the keys to getting true innovation is garnering insights that give you a, basically, it's the difference between, like in hockey, right? Do you want to be where the puck is or you want to go where the puck is headed, right? right. And the insights going to help you where the puck is headed. That puts you in a position where you can then score the goal, right? And the insight is going to give you that leg up, that advantage to basically be ahead of what your competitors mm-hmm. uh, may be thinking or doing. And that insight is going to give you a tremendous advantage of time, resources, and everything to be maybe one of the first ones to bring that innovation.
0: Yeah, it's a very important insight you just shared there. Let's see what I did there? Sometimes we <laughs> get too focused on competitors, and maybe even we'll have a senior person in the organization ask us to do the competitive analysis. And that, that, there's a role for that. It's certainly important. It's important to understand where we have parity, where we have yep. advantage, where we might be lagging. But when it comes to doing something new. I don't want to copy what my competitor's doing. I don't even know if they did the right thing, right? Did they do something that is actually creating value and responding to a need? I don't know that. But if I'm close to my customer, that's where the insights actually come from. So I, I like the quote. And I, I, I also noticed that that uh, quote, today's insights are tomorrow's facts, is the subtitle for a book you're working on, right?
1: Yeah, it's uh, coming out on November 2nd. It's called Getting to Aha, the Aha Moment. And why today's insights are tomorrow's facts. And so, yeah, I think basically the key to all of this is having more conversations and engaging uh, with your customers more and more. And I think one of the reasons I think you mentioned earlier, you haven't been a fan of the focus groups in the past, and I understand that your customers may not tell you what the new solution or product is. So, by the way, they will tell you their pain points, their problems, the things that frustrate them. But this is where you come in. As an engineer or an innovator saying, look, I understand their pain and problem, but I know there's a solution over here because of what I know about my industry or or what's happening in my industry that I think can really help address this and not only save them time, money, make it easier, but I think I can make them say, wow, this is really cool.
0: Excellent. Very good. Darshan, where can people find out more about information on you, your resources, this book you have coming up?
1: Sure. If you go to www.iresearch.com, you can find us there. Or you can always feel free to email me directly at dm com.
0: Okay, we will put those links into the show notes and make that easy for everyone to find. And speaking of those show notes, uh, the written summary of everything we talked about, including that one-page summary, please go check that out at productmasterynow.com slash 352. Darshan, thank you so much for your time today. Hey, thank you very much. It was great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com.
1: Keep innovating.